0: Money FM eighty nine point three. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. Time now for Mind Your Business. According to the World Bank, global growth is expected to slump to 2.9% in 2022. However, for Southeast Asia, expectations are still larger than the global average. The region wide growth forecast is set to be five percent this year. Now, this is further reiterated in findings by Tech in Asia, where over thirty-seven billion US dollars worth of funding went into Southeast Asian startups in 2021, showing that the startup ecosystem in the region is at an inflection point. Now, given the dynamic developments and recent challenges within the ecosystem, the annual Tech in Asia Conference 2022 hopes to highlight the resilience of the startup ecosystem amidst all the macro issues, challenges and opportunities that have been brought on by the pandemic. So how were the main discussion points made among those in the startup ecosystem at the conference? And how does the conference potentially help strengthen this particular ecosystem On line with me is maria lee the coo of tech in asia good morning maria good
1: morning how
0: are you i'm very good and of course uh we're talking about the tech in asia it is a singapore and jakarta based technology news website covering topics on startups and innovation in asia it did happen on the 21st and 22nd of september this year how is it different from other years
1: so the Tech in Asia Conference has a really long history with Singapore. We actually started here in Singapore back in 2011. So this is our 11th edition, but 10th year running it, if you will. And more and more in recent years, we've moved the conference over to Jakarta because that's actually where most of the startup investment scene is. But this year, we brought it back to Singapore. It's a bit of a homecoming. It's our 10th year, and we're really excited to run it. We Obviously, this is our first time back in person since Covid, and so we had ten thousand attendees, both virtually and in person, and the energy just across the board was amazing. I think the startup community was so happy to be back in person and really kind of networking and connecting in a way that we weren't able to do for the last two years.
0: I know I, I, I get that feeling whenever I walk into an event these days. I'm curious, though, uh, Maria, what was the narrative, or should I say, the objective this year?
1: This year, our conference theme was built to last, and we've thought long and hard about this one. And basically, the startup community globally, not just here in Southeast Asia, had these golden years where funding was really quite easy to access, where startups were just chasing growth. They weren't forced to necessarily be profitable from day one. Um, and so those are the golden years. But we really started to see a lot of that shift, definitely with COVID, that original shock to the system. And then now I think we hear so much about inflation, uh, potential recession, um, all these macro changes with the supply chain and geopolitical risks. really. So we thought about this theme built to last. And our real message is that at the end of the day, startups are you know, meant to be on the very beginning of a very long journey, hopefully where they turn into a public company and an exit. And so it's really about getting your business fundamentals right. What do founders need to do and what should startups take note of in order for them to build businesses that can really go all the way.
0: Mm. And it's also about riding on the, the current trends at the right moment in that sense. Um, how have you seen this entire ecosystem evolve over the years? I mean, what, what are you seeing right now as far as current trends are concerned?
1: So a lot of the conversations on stage was really about funding the current fundraising experience climate and then what it takes to build a great business in this situation. So we had uh, investors like Shalendra Singh from Sequoia, Wilson Tracha from East Ventures, Jenny Lee from GGV. Everybody was on stage saying, listen, the easy times of cash flow are basically over and what you need to focus on are just building good business fundamentals. And so startups that have a great product that has good customer retention that has uh, solid unit economics, those other startups that are going to have an easy time finding funding, no matter 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 what the situation is what we are maybe going to see a washout of the difference between last year and this year in particular will be founders who are amazing pitchers they're really really good at fundraising but they you know are chasing growth and these unsustainable metrics because those metrics are supported by easy capital fundraises, again and again and without the easy capital fundraises, um then you know like they're going to have a hard attack pulling it through. So it was kind of a sobering message in that, yes, business is about to be a lot tougher. But it kind of felt like more of a return to normal as opposed to these hyperinflated years of these last, uh, these last few years where it was kind of like grow at all costs um, and chasing hyperscaling numbers.
0: I like the way you described it as uh, sobering because this really means right now sit down and make sure you've got your fundamentals right. You do that, you've got a better chance than just being a great speaker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing you saw is that founders of the last few years, like really good True Blue founders, were kind of staying out of the fray because there's a lot of talk about FOMO, right? Like you're working Mm -hmm. on your own idea. You see another startup with a very similar idea out there, like raising millions and millions of dollars and getting these incredibly high valuations and you start to wonder what's wrong with you and so there ended up being this like weird downward pressure where some of the best builders maybe were kind of staying out or being left behind by the funding frenzy in this kind of like market correction especially on the fundraising and valuation side what you'll see is you know the best of the founders kind of emerge and so even though fundraising is tougher i think on the on the other side of that you're going to see better founders and startups emerge from this time because the founders who are building now Those are the ones who are really in it for the long haul. They really have like their core product and their core customer figured out. And those are also the ones that are going to have more financial discipline built into their model from day one. Mm. And so, again, back to built to last, you know, they're kind of ready to go from a much earlier stage. And they end up having a head start over maybe startups that were kind of, raised during more complacent times where funding was just the name of the game.
0: Right. What about accelerators? Where do they stand right now as far as a growth catalysts for startups?
1: I think still same, same. So I think the one thing to consider is that at this point, capital is becoming a lot smarter, right? Like, again, previously when it was just much more easier to raise money, you, you can take money from almost anywhere. Um, but now I think that the founders they have to be a lot more discerning about how they're raising capital and how they're getting access to money so accelerators especially with their know-how, their networks and the kind of the program that they bring you to probably look like a reasonably attractive option to a lot of founders who, you know, feel like maybe that the game has changed on them in the last few years and that this that is a way for them to kind of grow and incubate and, and accelerate their startup
0: with regard to the Asia Conference twenty twenty two, so I'm part of it, I'm part of the startup ecosystem. So then how how does an event like that help, you know, in terms of strengthening this ecosystem?
1: If I can share a personal story first of course. I arrived in Singapore five years ago, and so in 2018, I was trying, I was at Apple, actually, and I, was, I had been in big tech for a while, and so I was trying to understand the startup ecosystem. My friend actually snuck me into the Tech in Asia conference in 2018. He just like passed me his pass and wristband, um, and, I, and I walked in, and for me, that was the first intro to Southeast Asia startup and tech community. I came from Silicon Valley. Apple transferred me over, so I understood Silicon Valley relatively well, but that was my first like first taste of what was happening here on the ground. And it was so exciting that day. There was so much buzz with all the startups, like all the main stage speakers that on that day, I decided to quit big tech eventually and start looking for a role in Southeast Asia startup ecosystem. And so That's my story, but we commonly hear stories all the time about, you know, founders who raised their first check, right? They were like, I was sitting in your cafeteria area when I got my first pre-seed investment, or I found my co-founder because I was at the startup factory booth area. So what we try to do is create this platform, really, and this one's an event, but if you kind of look across all of Tech and Asia's products and services, it's what we try to do across the board, but create a platform of different... Events and, and moments where people can really connect and they can find their next business partner, their next investor, hire their first early team, um, and then eventually come back and tell their stories uh, and find customers through us. And so it's so important, I think, you know, to have these, not the in person, but to have these moments and to have these spaces to create the serendipitous moments that will kind of elevate the overall ecosystem. It brings new people in for sure but then it also helps the people who are already within the community start finding connections that they previously didn't know
0: mm. and you know just to note that maria did not pay for her first conference ticket she was <laughs> in uh, we'll have to backbill you on that one uh, but i am curious as to what were some of the obvious differences uh you saw whilst you were trying to understand the startup ecosystem here in asia or even in singapore versus the west i
1: think Fundamentally, one thing that stood out to me is how collaborative it is here. I mean, of course, there are startups who compete with each other and and across the board. You can't get rid of competition. But by and large... It does feel like many of the builders within the Southeast Asian ecosystem are building in order to first and foremost elevate this regional economy onto the global scale. And that is actually where we've seen tremendous growth over the last few years. And I think it's fundamentally different than when I first first landed in Singapore. Back then, nobody really even understood Southeast Asia. They were like, where is Singapore, Indonesia on the map? Like, why should I care? From the Western perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the builders here had a few different jobs, of course, We had to really kind of build up the startups, but. The other thing was, like, we had to make the the global tech centers of, like, Silicon Valley and and within Europe understand that there's a force to be reckoned here. And then, actually, as investors, as founders, or, you know, startups looking to expand globally, if they weren't taking a look at Southeast Asia, then they were missing out for themselves. And that conversation has changed a ton. These days, we're seeing investors coming in from all around the world, um, funds who previously were like, oh, we only look at the US, for example, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden being like, oh, very interesting. They hear about Grab. They hear about C Group. They hear about GoTo. Um, they hear about Property Group. Like, we're, we're putting more and more Southeast Asian startups. They, a, they're exiting, but they're exiting on, like, on American and Western exchanges. And so it's starting to draw attention here. And so the builders here tend to be a lot more collaborative because we understand that the first thing you have to do is make sure that everybody across the world understands that Southeast Asia, you know, is the place to be. and so everybody has like a much more common goal and it ends up being a little bit more friendly as a result
0: yeah I was gonna say that as as you were describing that it actually it's true I mean we have a lot of Southeast Asian startups but yet they end up listing on on the US stock exchanges Uh, that draws a heck of a lot of attention in terms of the past two years right I mean of course things have changed now that we have these in-person events Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of startups having uh, had to deal with the COVID situation where do you think they're at now I know the optimism is high for sure.
1: Actually, I think COVID was a bit of the first cut in terms of getting people back to basics, if you will. Uh, So COVID was interesting because if you look at the first year of COVID, nobody knew what was going on, right? Like globally, we all had no idea what, what was happening. And so a lot of startups... Um, you did see a decent amount of layers, but that was for them in an effort to basically trim their costs and get everything under control just in case the fundraising environment or the revenue environment wouldn't be as strong anymore. So for year one actually instilled a lot of discipline. Year two actually ended up being very, very good for the tech and startup sector. So a lot of startups were able to just raise money, and that was great for them. Because that war chest is going to play really, really well for these next few years. If fundraising continues to stay tight, any money that they raise, plus that initial discipline they built up during the first year of COVID, will basically help them last through uh, mm. this like initial shock of the system. And Jenny Lee actually on stage made a really good point. She, They are counseling that all startups should, should aim for at least 36 months of cash runway. The reason for that is because you need to be able to go from a defensive to offensive play when the time calls wow. for it. Right. So you need to basically be able to hunker down, make sure your business is surviving, and then maybe when the field is cleared out a little bit if you will, then you can go on an offensive play, go out and inquire competitors, go out and inquire partners, talent, whatever it might be. So, but you need to be able to last until that point where you have the opportunity to produce an offensive play. And I thought that was really smart in terms of, it's not just sitting on cash for the sake of sitting on cash, but sitting on cash um, as a startup and focusing on revenue in order to enable that next, like, major move or major
0: growth mm, story, mm. it's like if anything, COVID has taught uh, startups or any ecosystem to be more strategic and and plan better in that sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's really like pure business strategy and yeah. fundamentals, which is kind of what was so nice to hear. It was resonating throughout all of our sessions and, and all the conversations we had. So that was like very a clear, definitive takeaway.
0: Mm, I can imagine that. Uh, Miriam, just, just a final thought. Um, what do you think can be done? What else can be done in terms of promoting the startup ecosystem growth?
1: The last one, I would say, the common choke point we always hear about is really on tech talent. And we had uh, Singh Ren, who's the chief growth officer of Seek Asia on stage. They run, run Jobstreet, Z B. Job And what he said in their numbers is last year, like across the board in other sectors, you're starting to see a rebalance where maybe it's shifting more from an employee market to employer market, right? When we hear about like cuts and things like that, it's not true in the tech sector. So in the tech sector, last year, job vacancies doubled, and this year it's set to double again. So basically, there's four times more demand for tech talent. And honestly, you know, across Singapore, across Southeast Asia, there's just not, not enough people to fill those roles. And so in order to kind of, for us to overall, to achieve our overall goals of like growing the ecosystem, fielding more IPOs on NASDAQ and whatever it may be, we actually need the people to come in and help us build. And so the tech talent, I think, is is an issue that many employers are struggling with. Again, a few years ago, you start to see a salary war where, like, these firms were just kind of outbidding each other. Um, Those days are going to be gone because, again, cash is not so easy to come by anymore. But at the end of the day, I think it it goes back to education. It goes back to training. um, And it goes back to really kind of attracting both younger people who are just coming up in their career, mid-level career switchers, um, and then also, like, honestly, outsiders and foreigners in so that the tech talent pipeline here is as strong as possible. To sustain our ambition.
0: It's interesting, right? Because I would have thought that throughout the two years where there was so much promotion, uh, officials coming out to stay, or even the government coming out to say, hey, you know, go upgrade yourself, go study, go get into tech. But yet at the same time, we haven't exactly reaped the rewards of that uh, as much as we'd like to.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think there's still a bit of a perception that startups are just seen as maybe less stable jobs. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so when you hear about A startup can do a pay cut or some layoffs, but that ends up affecting like 20 to 30 percent of their job force because they're fundamentally smaller. A corporate can do the same thing, but Mm -hmm. because you have employ like, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 people, it feels a lot more removed. And so I think that there is also a mental shift when it comes to the employee's attitude as well, which is simply – at the end of the day, I mean, you have to ask yourself, do you think that a startup is more or less risky? For me, I actually personally feel like it's a no. I'm biased, of course. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's a no because in a startup, the one thing is good talent is gets noticed really easily. Mm-hmm. right? In a corporate, it's kind of like more of a, a nameless cut. Like yeah. They're not yeah. looking at you individually. It's kind of like, hey, we need to cut 5% across you know, finance, whatever it might be, all these different departments. a startup, it becomes a lot more personal. So you actually, for me at least, you have a little bit more control of your destiny. But I do think there's a little bit of a risk factor that can be seen um, Mm. from the employee's attitude. And then honestly, it's also just a matter of time, right? Like becoming an engineer, becoming a good engineer definitely takes time. And so if you started two years ago, you're probably okay and on your way, but it will take another few years before you
0: really become a master of your craft. Well, you know what they say, with a bit of risk can come some good reward as well. (laughs) Maria Lee, the COO of Tech in Asia, with me on the line. Maria, I appreciate your time this morning. You take care and have a great day, yeah? Thank you. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or
1: the App Store.